Hello, America. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs Network Radio, the nation's crossroads for serial and aspiring entrepreneurs, angel investors, and helpful service providers. I'm Rick Anthony, entrepreneur, angel investor, consultant, author, and teacher. Each week, we bring you big ideas, fascinating guests, fabulous listening, and valuable lessons learned from entrepreneurs and business experts from markets coast to coast and border to border. My friend Ira Wolf, founder and CEO of Success Performance Solutions and author of the upcoming book, When the Shift Hits Your Plan, has been studying trends in the U.S. labor force and the lifestyles of generational cohorts for the past 20 years. One of his early books, The Perfect Labor Storm, sounded the alarm about shortages of a qualified workforce in the U.S., even in the depths of the Great Recession. He's doing it again in When the Shift Hits Your Plan, this time asserting that demographers and marketers need to see generational cohorts like millennials and baby boomers differently. Welcome, Ira, to the Entrepreneurs Network Radio. Good afternoon, Rick. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Thanks. Uh, always enjoy our conversations because you're always just a step ahead of everybody else. I'm intrigued by your latest thesis that the shifts occurring among all generations, but especially millennials and baby boomers, are going virtually unnoticed by demographers and market research experts. What is the major shift you see occurring right now, and where is it headed? It's a good question. Um, it's a complicated question, too. Um, I'll try to take it down to two points that I see, um, at, at least on the surface. You know, one is um, the, you know, we've classified the generations. I've wrote a book about it. We've talked about it. So have a lot of other people. And, you know, typically, whether it's a baby boomer, Generation X or millennials, they've spanned the 15 or 20 years and then trends tended to change. Um, within the, each of those groups, we've had people that have been enormously successful and talented and other people just seem to, you know, ride the curve. Um, you know, the, basically, they, everybody raised the, the level of the water so their boats floated. Um, certainly in the last 10 to 15 years, that's changed. And, uh, you know, when I wrote The Geek Skeezers and Googleization, um, I started to see a shift. And it wasn't as much of the age-dependent demographic as much as it was maybe technology-dependent demographic. Mm -hmm. So I started to look across those and talk about more of the wired and the tired, um, that there were, you know, you and I, and probably me more than you, but, uh, you know, here I am, an older baby boomer, and I'm doing my best to keep up with technology. Um, you know, I, I've been accused of being that millennial trapped in the baby boomer body. And but I'm you know, I, mm -hmm. I live and die and breathe and my business runs on technology. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm always looking for something better. And yet I've have lots of peers that um, some of them are 10, 15 years younger that are really struggling. I mean, they, they just are. You know, they were happy, happy with the way things were, yes. got a little complacent. And, you know, their flip phones still okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not complicated. So I think one one of the big trends that people are missing is that across generations, we're seeing this wired and tired um, versions of the generations. You know, the other part is that what's really changed over the last 10 or 15 years, and it just can, accelerates, is just change. Each of the generations in the past was almost affected by or impacted and influenced by a particular trend or innovation. And the, the life cycle of the innovation lasted 
10, 20, 30, 40 years, it, it even crossed generations mm -hmm. because although we went from, let's say, the telephone, um, you know, I remember having to call the operator when I was young. You know, I lived in a small town in Pennsylvania and we still had operators. You know, but shortly thereafter, um, we had the dial. And then it went to the push button and then you could have, you didn't have to have a black phone with the push button. You could have colors and then mm -hmm. you had the prince's phone. And then we had, we had the first motor, the first mobile phones. And so we, we've had all that, but we still had a phone. I mean, that was still the primary mode of communication. And, you, and, and regardless of you picked up the handle and or the receiver and it worked. And all of a sudden now we're sitting with smartphones and, and it's really not a smartphone at all. It's a computer that happens to just be able to communicate with other people through a phone call, but most people don't use it that way. Mm -hmm. And that's the primary sense of the phone. So the one thing we've seen in the last 20 years, in addition to the wired and the tired, and maybe that's influenced that, is that the tech, the technology is just exponentially changing and accelerating. And it's tough for every generation to deal with it. Um, but, what we lose perspective of is that like generation Z, which let's say those are born from 1996 on. So the oldest ones are now 20. Um, they've only known this world. Mm -hmm. They've only known a world that all this stuff is changing fast. And you and I have a perspective that, Hey, things could last 20 or 30 years. And that's, you know, now if we have 20 or 30 days. It's almost a lifetime for some entrepreneurial companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a little confused then, because if the millennials are comfortable with technology, rapidly changing technology, and Generation uh, Z is born with it, uh, to some extent like the predecessors, they were born with a chip in their head, why will we have difficulty filling the estimated 10 million jobs in the U.S. for which some claim we don't have enough qualified candidates. Even you, in your book a few years back, The Perfect Labor Storm, were predicting that there would be 10 million jobs that we could not find people for. Is yeah, there, is there I, a dichotomy I, I, there? Well, I think the one thing that's changed is we may not have those jobs because they're going to be automated. <laughs> so, so some of that perspective may change. But yeah, I, I'm not sure it's a dichotomy. I think it's we have to be very careful with the wording and the semantics that we use. Just because you were born in that age where the expectation is that technology is with us, we're going to use technology every day. Um, you're not going to go to the library. You're not going to buy a, a world book or Encyclopedia Britannica to, to get reference books once a year. You can get that anytime that you want in a click of a button, and it's been updated minutes ago. Right. So part of it is is that's the context in which they live. It doesn't necessarily mean that they know that all millennials and Generation Z know how to use it. Mm -hmm. And that's another divide, and maybe that's where the part of the wired and the tired is. You know, we, it, it's well documented that we've got uh, that the middle class is going away and we have, you know, a rising upper class and we have a growing lower class of, of citizens and, and yes. most of that socioeconomic. But because of that, there's a huge divide in the availability of not only the technology that's available to them, but the access, but the, but the ability to learn how to use that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the, the lower income populations, and especially the minorities, you know, they have the, an incredibly high saturation that uses smartphones. Now that doesn't mean they're savvy with technology. 
you know, they may have to download an app and use all those applications, but in real life application, uh, real life, um, how, how do they monetize that skill? And mm-hmm. that's the challenge. And I, I, so I, you know, it, it's confusing because people say, oh, okay, so they're naturally gifted. No, mm-hmm. they just, they should be because they've only grown up with that, but nobody's really teaching them how to use it. Yes. On the other respect is things change so fast. I'm not sure anybody knows how to use yeah. it all. <laughs> you know, it's really getting subspecialized. At a, at a recent presentation I heard you give uh, downtown, uh, you said you predicted that my grandkids uh, graduating high school or college would be competing with robots for jobs. And, and you weren't pushing out to the year 2050, 2060. Uh, it's, as I recall, you were talking about something that is comparatively near term. You know, what are, to the extent that that actually happens, that is humans competing with robots, if it isn't already happening, for jobs, what are the policy implications of that? That is, how will the government and employers deal with millions more displaced workers, displaced by technology? Well, that was, I appreciate that. Uh, that was certainly one of my points that yes. I hope got across, or the, or the whole purpose of the summit, how change is happening so fast and our policies and procedures, both governmental and academic and just society norms are being not necessarily dis- just disrupted. Yes. Um, but one of the things that I read recently in, in Tom, Thomas Friedman's new book, he talks about a differentiation between disruption, which is merely an inconvenience and a dislocation. And we're having industries and people and jobs and 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 actually just societal norms that are being dislocated. Mm-hmm. They just don't work anymore in today. So it has enormous implications. Um, you know, from obviously, you know, we we can get down to education of 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 what are the skills that need to that we need to have, but preparing people for a career, which means that in ten to fifteen years they'll be able to uh, still continue to apply the skills and the knowledge that they learned fifteen years prior, is just absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, the speed of change, uh, they've already recognized that what somebody learns as a freshman in college by the time they graduate, that that knowledge yeah, is out of obs- date. Obsolete. That job may be out of date. Yes. Right. So how do you educate people for jobs that don't exist yet? Uh, where should government be putting the money? How is that going to affect uh, incomes and schools and who's going to pay taxes and where where the revenue yeah. is going to come from. And uh, so the, enor- the implications are enormous and way beyond trying to solve this in a 15 minute conversation. Um, but they're there. And that's, you know, that's what my book, you know, one of the sub points of my book is I don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be foolish to think that and, and basically a narcissist or an egomaniac to, to think but, that I do. But the reality is, is part of what I say is it's the spark Pivotal conversations, but, but, and that's what we need. Yeah, then you do raise perplexing questions for which you do not provide answers. Uh, but that's part of the intrigue of it all, I guess. Um, you mentioned, you just mentioned a, a phrase though that got me to think. I hadn't thought about this: uh, career planning. Uh, I, I guess it is folly for career counselors, for academics, for teachers to continue to talk in terms of career planning, they should be substituting it with life planning. That is to develop the skills you're going to need to be able to adapt, uh, adjust, and exploit 
uh, and I don't mean that in a in the uh, the negative way, exploit opportunities as they are presented to you. And, and oh, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, it's it, yeah, the, I, and maybe it's again going back to semantics. When people equate a career to a job, what's yeah. my career? Oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going to yeah. be a lawyer. I'm going to be a welder, a tradesman, um, whatever it is. Is that we we basically equated career with job title, mm-hmm. and that's that's just bad, bad, bad advice. Um, if we're looking at it going forward, you know, if when somebody says, "What are the what are the skills that we're going to need five years from now? What should we be training people on?" Well, one of them, however you want to define it, and I know this is a broad term, but it's critical thinking. So making good decisions, right. but it's it's also not necessarily going back to the kind of the root of that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my leadership and masters. I mean, we we dissected how people make decisions because. It's now evaluating the information that's available. Some of the decisions are the base decisions are made. The the time we invested in doing the research is is we don't need to do that. I mean, it's a, it's a click of the button and we can get that. Yeah. But how do we evaluate the quality of that research? And then more importantly, how do we combine? How do we correlate that with some other information that we saw? Um, so I, I think two of the core skills are. Um, curiosity. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't have the curiosity to even ask. They just take things for granted. Uh, and then the, the question, the part beyond that is, what do? You, how do we process so much information, um, dissect the the myths from the truth and the facts, and then make sense of it? Yeah. Um, a lot of that's going to be done by computers. So now mm-hmm. you're already forcing people to even a higher level of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, that's a basic skill. But the other part is, and you mentioned this just briefly before, about hey, our, you know, our grandkids may grow up in a world where you're going to be not only for some jobs are going to be replaced by robots. But the other is um, is considering that a robot is not your tool, but your colleague. Yes. Um, that there's going to be a relationship that up until now technology has helped improve my value and your value and lots of people's value because it's helped us make uh, it, it helped make us more productive. Mm-hmm. But what happens when it's a mutual relationship? What happens when that I will make the, that the robot will help or the software, whatever, you know, just the bot mm-hmm. will make me more valuable, but that I too will make it more valuable. And I've got to, I've got to treat it as my colleague, right. not as my Tool. And that's uh, there's going to be a transition for that with machine learning. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. they'll replace all mm-hmm. the jobs, but you know, at least in the next twenty or thirty years, there's going to be a transition. And that, but that's a major mindset change that people uh, just don't get. It it sure is. Um, what, what is uh, what is Microsoft's uh, Watson? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where doctors uh, huddle around the, the machine for briefings on the latest developments in their specialties because the machine yeah, can, can process faster? 
Yeah, well, they bring, you know, they, they can process, there's 8,000 research papers that are released every day in the country, yeah. peer-reviewed re- clinical research. Yeah. In, it's incomprehensible for a human being to digest all that. It's amazing. Um, and, you know, so to be able yeah. to do that. Um, so what, they're, what, what the doctors are able to do is come to the table and mm-hmm. review that information mm-hmm. rather than spend all the time in research. Okay, Ira, bring all this home for me now. This is a program about and for entrepreneurs. So what does all of this mean for entrepreneurs in terms of the types of ventures that will succeed and the types of jobs successful successful ventures will will create? It's interesting. I, I, I you know I write the weekly newsletter and, and part of my my newsletter this week was that every company, regardless if they're a brand new startup or an existing company, has to um, act like a startup. They basically have to say, we have a lot of legacy policies, procedures, programs, mm. business models, product services that we deliver that are going to be changed or gone. Um, so everybody's got to go in the startup mode. Um, the, the other part of that is that with that, you recognize that a lot of the work products and services that were either made, delivered, or, or how they were done um, – that were humans involved are now going to be handled by automation and robots. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's left? Um, the startups that are going to be successful are one, removing the complexity from things that we do. You know, I mean, essentially is, you know, whether it was doing that research or whether it was making a, you know, trying to connect a call or do mm-hmm. a web meeting or whatever it is, mm-hmm. is the, 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 the technologies that are winning out are those that are reducing the complexity. But the other is really thinking out, and, and I mean out 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and that's probably as far as you can possibly go, right. um, are what are the things that robots and automation will replace humans? And what are the things that, that won't be done in that time span? Mm-hmm. And the startups, you know, to be successful is really looking at what is the work that will steam for a job? What is the work that will still need to be done by a human being mm-hmm. or at least partially done, you know, yeah. even in collaboration with the, the technology? Um, you know, everything else that we know how to do, yeah. um, it's going to be a lot of people competing yeah. to do it. <laughs> Ira, but there's, for every, as you know, for every trend, there's a counter trend. And so 10 or 15 years from now, the, the premium may be on those products that have a label made by a human being. It could be if we're, if we're willing to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, I think, those are, I think there's going to be boutique yes. opportunities. It's like classic cars. Yeah, exactly. You know, that classic cars don't have computers as engines. Mm-hmm. They've got good old motors. Yeah. And there are people that specialize in that, make a good living, and people are yeah. willing to pay a premium yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not going to... It's not going to float everybody's boat. It's well, not going to raise the quality of living for everybody. We, we've just scratched the surface of uh, your, oh, the, your, sure. thes- your thesis <laughs> and your upcoming book, the title of which, again, is When the Shift Hits Your Plan. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. Uh, thanks again very much, Ivor, for spending time with us today. My pleasure. My guest today has been uh, Ira Wolf, who is the founder and president of success, uh, CEO rather, of Success Performance Solutions, and the author of the upcoming book, When the Shift Hits Your Plan. Uh, Until next time, this is the Entrepreneurs Network Radio. I'm Rick Anthony.